Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinsing, episode 414. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of this special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 414. Our first sponsor spotlight features Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of family farms in the heart of Alaska, working together to grow and distribute fresh, stunning, high-quality peony varieties during the months of July and August, when the normal growing season is over. Arctic Alaska Peonies operates three pack houses supplying peonies throughout the United States and Canada. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. Our theme for 2019, 50 States of Slow Flowers, continues today with Diane Calhoun and Susanna Calhoun, mother-daughter farmer florists of Calhoun Flower Farm in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Listen for our conversation in the second portion of this episode. I'm so glad that I enjoyed a spontaneous trip to Bend, Oregon last week. My husband Bruce had some board meetings scheduled there, and I decided to tag along. In central Oregon, Bend is an incredibly beautiful place across the mountains from where I live, so an entirely different landscape. Yes, the area is considered high desert, but the local agriculture scene for food and flowers is vibrant and active. The other reason I said yes was my hope to visit a few flower growers during my two-day visit. And today you'll join me on one of those, a tour and conversation with Jennifer Ladd of Sweet Posy Flowers. I thought the last time I saw Jen was in 2017 when she attended and contributed flowers to the first Slow Flowers Summit held in Seattle. But she reminded me that we had a very brief passing hello at the Northwest Flower and Garden Festival this past February. Turns out Jen helps a family member set up a plant sale booth at the flower show. So we're going to be more intentional about connecting there next year. But what a treat to drive just about 10 minutes east of Bend, turn off the highway onto a long gravel driveway and come upon fields of annuals surrounding a charming white cottage-style studio and two sturdy high tunnels also filled with blooms. I arrived at Sweet Posy Floral. I was greeted by two friendly dogs and today's bubbly guest. Jen aptly describes Sweet Posy Floral as an heirloom flower farm and bespoke floral design studio. She owns the farm with her firefighter husband, Brandon Ladd, about whom she says, I truly wouldn't have been able to bring this dream to fruition without him. He works his full-time shifts at the fire station and comes home and works the farm and helps me with logistics of wedding setups. 
a true farm him partner for the farm her. Jen shares this on her about page. She writes, I've loved flowers my entire life. As a child, I would go with my grandmother into her garden and watch her love and cultivate the plants, talking to them as she went. You have to talk to them because it's a relationship, she'd tell me. They'll only grow and blossom for you if you love them. When it was time to plan my own wedding, second only to the groom and the dress in importance was the flowers. Destiny brought me to a wonderful woman on a glorious flower farm who set me loose with shears and buckets to cut as many of her beautiful heirloom flowers as I wanted to make my day complete. In those fields, surrounded by the bright blooms, I realized this is what I'd love to do. The dream of sharing beautiful, sustainable, local flowers is what Sweet Posy is all about. Identical in idea to the slow food movement, we believe in the slow flowers movement. We believe that a bouquet can come from a 50-mile radius, even in Central Oregon's climate. We believe that special, unique heirloom flowers can be accessible even if they aren't bred to withstand weeks of shipping. We believe that a wider variety of flowers leads to a wider variety of floral visions that we can make a reality. Local is beautiful when local means real flowers that are pollinated by real bees and destined to brighten the days of real people who love supporting their local farmer artisans. Welcome to Sweet Posy's Growing World. Oh, I love those sentiments. Even though she was up at dawn to harvest, make market bouquets, deliver them to Market of Choice, a local grocery store customer, and tend to countless other farm projects, when I arrived at Sweet Posy last weekend, Jen greeted me with a warm welcome as if she had not a care in the world. She gave me a tour of the fields, the high tunnels, and the studio. We shared a glass of pink champagne and noshed on some delicious appetizers and finally turned on the recorder to grab this interview. Please visit DebraPrinzing.com for today's show notes to see images of Jen, Sweet Posies, Farm and Designs, and the place where Jen creates wedding florals and teaches her workshops. I'll also share her social places so you can find and follow Jen Ladd and Sweet Posy Floral. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so delighted today to introduce you to Jen Ladd, and Jen is with Sweet Posy Floral in Bend, Oregon. Hi, Jen. Hi, Deborah. Thanks for welcoming me. Absolutely. This is one of those, you know, we just, I do so many of these Skype interviews. It's so nice to be on a farm and in a studio and see what, what my guest is doing. It's really a pleasure having you here, Deborah. I was stunned when you called and asked. Oh, no, you've been on my wish list for a while. (laughs) Part of it is that I'm in Seattle, and you're in Bend, and that's, like, how far away? Six hours or so? I think so. Okay. I think so. Um, We met, we were reminiscing about how we had met originally, um, that you came to the first Slow Flower Summit Mm -hmm. with uh, our mutual friend, Beth Beth. Cyphers of Crowley House, and that was so fun because I think you guys were sort of running away from the farm that day. (laughs) We were. We really were. You wore like flower dresses. And <laughs> we really were. And you brought flowers for our designers. We did. That Both was, of us did yes. from our farms. I remember that. Yeah. So that was in 2017. And mud played with them. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mm-hmm. have a photo of yourself with flowers mm-hmm. on your head? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do remember that. Yeah. Well, here we are in the um, in August of 2019. A lot has happened. You yeah. said you're in your fourth, maybe fifth season. Yep. So give us a snapshot of Sweet Posy Floral, and I mean, you're a farmer and a florist. You're kind of wearing two hats. Yes, two hats. (laughs) 
or maybe more. <laughs> and and many many of my friends ask me with those two hats, is there one that you just love more? Mm. Maybe you don't need both hats. Mm. What do you say? It's so hard. I it's that which came before the other mm-hmm. or you know they're interdependent, right? It, exactly. Yeah. And that's why I say it's not such an easy way to parse them from each other. Yeah. It, it, they're really together because I love growing things and all of this came out of the love of years back of growing things. Um, but another friend and family member had reminded me that, well, even before you started all of this and you were always landscaping and doing your yards at all the places you've lived, you were cutting from all those places mm. and mm. delivering things to all of mm. us. So you that. were doing both then. Yeah. You know? It was like your natural impulse to create something beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. With what you were growing. Yeah. And I didn't know it was necessarily a thing until years ago when I was teaching and for fun came across Erin with Florette. And I, Just on Instagram or? Um, through her blog. Oh, she, yeah. Probably pre Instagram. Yeah. And so I was um, following her blog. I mean, that was back in like 2007, okay. 2008. Yeah. And I just loved how humble she was in the with her family and how she talked about the flowers and how she was getting into it and I could relate to some of it and and you were kind of in the same uh, region in mm-hmm. in a way because Aaron's in Washington state and you're in Oregon and yep. yeah. Absolutely. I grew up in the Willamette Valley and so similar growing conditions. So were you teaching them in back in 2007? Yeah. And what were you teaching? I taught um Literacy. So I did small group literacy. Wow. Skills. In the public schools mm-hmm. in here in Bend. In the Bend Lapine School District. Wow. And then yeah. some kind of major epic thing happened in our global economy <laughs> that kind of changed your life. It did. Um, it was kind of that big shift that I think um, many people feel, felt across the United States um, with the economy in the 2008-9 crash of things. Right. And, here in Bend, in Central Oregon in general, I think sometimes we get even more, we get hit harder. I heard that yesterday in a conversation. And um, is it because this area was sort of a second home vacation type of area? I think so. I think okay. so. I think a lot of people, um, it's appealing to a lot of people. And I, for myself, am welcoming all of these people in. But at the same time, they don't quite have... Um, they don't quite bring in all the help with the infrastructure that we need. For the locals. For the locals. Right. There's like tourism and then there's people who actually live right. 24-7 right. around the And then the here. tax yeah. space and how that yeah. all works. And so, that, so that affected you as a teacher then? Mm-hmm. And so then with the school district, um, for myself, the big layoff that came, not just for me, but hundreds of us wow. in our district. Wow. Um, from all bargaining units. It, it was pretty devastating. Took a big haircut. Yeah. I, and how long had you taught Jen oh gosh, by then? Oh, gosh, what was that? Well, I had only had five years in with the mm. Ben Lapine School mm. District. Okay. Um, because that was part of uh, the demarker for how it was the last week of school in the 2010-11 school year. It was the last week of school. And people were murmuring and talking about what they thought was coming down the pipe. And we were meeting with our unions and whatnot. And they kept on um, saying to us, we're okay. Everybody's going to be okay. We're going to make it through. We already tightened our purse strings last year and at the beginning of this, seeing this coming along. And then next thing I knew, I came in, was it the second or third last day? 
before school, before the kids were out. Mm-hmm. And um, my principal had left me a note on my desk. To save my position, he had cut my full-time position from the year before to half-time, thinking mm. that that was going to help mm. salvage mm-hmm. things. Um, and I was the first one to go home in the day, so I was the first one that had gotten a note on my desk. Oh, wow. And, you know, I didn't know that this was what it was going to be about. Yeah. Um, and I went to the office, and the office just looked different than it had ever looked. It was a total open-door policy. We were very small school. We knew every single student, parent, staff. We were all very close. And the blinds and the doors were closed on his office. And the secretary, who I was good friends with, couldn't make eye contact with me. And so it was kind of that feeling of, Uh, I knew knew what was kind of what was happening. And went in, and then I realized on his credenza when I saw literally white envelopes, like dominoes. Everybody's... uh Basic. On the chopping block. <laughs> yeah. So did you um, basically hit plan on just having that summer off or were you, because I know you said you've gardened a lot. You yeah. were working in a landscape business or something. Well, right? and I had um, every summer, I that was just what I did. Mm. I found other work in the summer. Um, so I had worked for a nursery already located up near Redmond. Um, and then through there and another company, I did landscape mm. design. So you're, you're, you had a, a so lot had of relationship with plants already. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the flower farming idea wasn't quite there yet, was it? No, not, not on the scale. Of what you're uh, doing now. And not that, you know, in having, your, having our mutual friends and listeners um, here with us, it's not that this is a, a large flower farm. It's, we're five acres in total. Three acres is in production but I wouldn't even say three acres is in production the whole time. Over you're the you're rotating and and mm-hmm. and fa- phasing from one season to the next. Right. And all. Right. Uh, while we're on the subject of your five acres and this beautiful property, <laughs> um, there are two high, two big high tunnels, mm-hmm. right? A hundred footer, and then I think the other one we measured eighty six. Okay. Seems like an odd number, but and then a lot of fields. Beds. A lot of field beds, which are 200 foot by four foot field beds. We kind of feel like we can reach from both sides mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on a four foot bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have this beautiful studio that we're in, which it was an old um, stable or something um, yeah. when you bought this property. Yeah, it was a, an old barn. Um, we think the previous owners used it for their horses. Okay. Um, we used it for our goats in the beginning. Um, over, we would overwinter them in here before putting them up on the front pasture in the spring. And it was pretty much dirt floor stalls in here. And it just had like a little shed roof on it that became compromised um, a couple years back when all of us were being affected one way or another by By a winter. (laughs) By a winter. And the snow collapsed it in. And we had all of our crates of Dahlia tubers stored in here. And we didn't think about clearing the snow Mm. off of it and so it collapsed and moisture got in lots of moisture and things got wet and then froze i'm so sorry how many tubers did you lose well my husband for insurance purposes had to video it oh my gosh and count them wow bless his heart he was the one who did that and that was thirty-two thousand tubers and that was your second season mm-hmm. you've had a lot of challenges jen yeah. You're resilient. I, <laughs> I think um, that's 
what you have to be in this, I've learned. Yeah. I didn't know that that's what it was. And I didn't, wouldn't have said that that's the being that I am. Um, but I'm learning, I'm recognizing that, I guess, in this yeah. season, this year. Yeah. So this, the business as it is now, and we'll, we'll bounce back to your past. Sure. Because I know we have to finish I that. I know, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I got off track, but that's how I do it. And I'm sorry, listeners. I followed a rabbit hole. Um, <clears throat> I do want to kind of just define what, Sweet Posy Floral is, and you mentioned the amount of land you have here. Mm-hmm. We mentioned the design studio. You're truly a farmer florist, mm-hmm. and we talked about that. <clears throat> what are your channels, or like, what are your key areas that you're focusing yeah. on for product? We we felt that if we were going to dive off and grow everything, right? You, that's that's the dream at first. You grow everything because um, you just love every plant. Because right? you love it all, mm-hmm. you know, and people ask all of this. Yeah. That, right? What's your favorite flower? What's your favorite type of flower? What's your favorite color? Um, and really it just depends upon the season. And when you're doing we started off with a um, weekly floral subscription. So with that it's a hand-tied bouquet of what's growing on the farm that week for 10 weeks. And that was summer of 2015. Yep. Correct. And was that uh, mostly annuals? Mostly annuals, okay. yes. Okay. And we had the the start of the dahlias, um, but other than that, like we didn't we didn't have any of the roses or the climbing garden roses or peonies. Okay. Um, well, probably you wanted to start with what would you can get in the ground and grow quickly, right? Correct. Okay. And so CSAs was sort of your first foray into mm, retail. Correct. Yeah. Um, and then with that, it was kind of. To have a nice hand-tied bouquet, you need all those lovely bits and the focal flowers and the secondaries and the airy and the filler. So you kind of have to grow a plethora mm-hmm. of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so that was the start of it. And then we realized once we got through um, a little hit early that spring with the um, late hard frost that came in mid-June and took some of our beds and we were fortunate to have other growers from the PNW step in and help us with our CSA. But once we got past that and into the July and August and September, and we realized like, oh, the flowers are growing and they're just gonna keep growing and growing and growing. Um, so aside from the CSA, we knew that we were doing weddings. So I was cutting for my weddings. But then I quickly realized, oh, I need, I have so many flowers, I can't just let them stay here in the beds. You need to find homes for them. We need to find homes. So that's when we got into grocery. So Whole Foods was our initial grocery. We have one Whole Foods here. Um, Oh, wow. They were terrific because they were also somebody, in regards to our CSA, who would, um, I could take all my CSA buckets and they would hold them down in their cooler and our customers could come, our members could come pick up their CSAs from there versus all of this traffic coming down our drive to the farm. Jen, I don't think there's a Whole Foods anywhere else in the country that would let a a farmer sell her CSA bouquets. They didn't take a penny of that, right? No. Wow. No. That's very unique. I I had come in there and I was talking with the, you know, all floral at grocery is part of uh, produce. Right. And I was talking with, the floral gal there, and we just had really hit it off. And I was talking to her about us getting started with our CSA and that we're trying to figure out how we can have our members pick up. And she said, well, why don't we do it? I'll, I'll talk with the That's- head guy and whatnot, but I'm pretty sure it's okay because we do it for veggie farmer CSAs here. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, 
And so sure enough, that's, that's how we got into that. And then they said, well, why don't you just sell your flowers here too? So how do you do your bouquets for uh, for Whole Foods? Is it uh, seasonal? Like it is seasonal. Fall? It is seasonal. And I should say right away that that we started with Whole Foods, but we no longer put our flowers into Whole okay. Foods. Okay. We primarily well things have changed for that company it just, too. It has, yeah. and then then that's that's part of why we don't. Um, it just became uh, too challenging for us being such a small farm to. Um, call weeks in advance and say we're going to have X number of buckets mm. of this particular And they bloom. needed that forecast. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you could Where before that. they were so generous and I could call early that week and say this is what's coming on. I believe we're going to harvest this many bunches of this, this, and this. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's probably the lesson that you learn every day is I there's so. no constant or no steady predictability. You, just you hit to, it on the head. Wow. You hit it on the head, Deborah. I, again, <clears throat> it's lessons learned and it's been hard lessons learned yeah. for sure. Um, this has been the season. This year has truly been the season, I guess, when we talk about living in seasons. Yeah. Um, it, it's been a lot of learning that way and a realization that I don't have control of all of this. I yeah. can, I can prepare and plan as much as possible, but there's always going to be a kink or mother nature or that emergencies. Thing. Mm-hmm. What grocery store are you partnering with now? Uh, Market of choice. Oh, yes. I've so in my, that. they're all over the Northwest, right? Yes. Not- and they're based out of Eugene. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they are fantastic. So for any of your other listeners out there, um, if they're looking to get into grocery and they're somewhere here in the Pacific Northwest, contact. Interesting. Contact your local. Yeah, I feel like I went to one maybe in Spokane or something. They're not just in Oregon. They're also in Washington. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so there's one outlet here. One outlet here, and that opened up my second year in doing this whole thing. So then for a bit, I was doing Whole Foods and Market of Choice, and now it's just Market of Choice. So for Market of Choice, are you taking mixed hand-tied bouquets Mm -hmm. or wrapped bouquets and then also like... Loose straight stems? bunches. Oh, straight bunches. Yep. Okay. So we do everything by the bunch or bouquet or the jar posy. The jar mm. posy has been our signature piece that For people them. love because it's a grab and go. And um, a lot of our community, they just know it now. Wow. And so she gives up Bonnie, the at market of choice. At market of choice. Um, they've just been so flexible and they've truly embraced us and she tells me every time I'm there delivering stuff, you can't ever bring enough. Wow. Don't worry about overcrowding or taking over my shelves because she's the local, the head florist there. She creates pieces to put in the cooler there. So she's doing design services as well. As well. Wow. But she has no conflict with us coming in. And there's a couple new young growers that are also coming in mm-hmm. with their stuff as mm-hmm. well. And what she's saying to us is our community wants local. They are hungry for this, wow. and they ask me. and And if you, you know, we've been going in two or three times a week, but wow. if we get down to just once, and and last week because of multiple weddings, we didn't go in. Um, and then I get people messaging me, "Where are Where? the flowers?" <laughs> <laughs> and oh my gosh! When you sell in the grocery, I'm just particularly interested in that because I also write for Super Floral Magazine, which is yeah. part of Florist Review, and I feel like. <clears throat> 
there are these little pockets of success mm-hmm. in grocery, but they're mostly with independent regional grocery stores that, I, like the one you described. Yep. And I, I, I feel like that's exactly it. It's mm. regional, local, and to go in and talk to that floral head. And that person can make the decisions. It's not some big corporate person mm-hmm. in another state. Yep. I filled out a one-page piece. Vendor and, form or whatever. Yep, yeah. And she sent it off and they okayed it and that was that. And the the beauty of this is that I literally can show up any day of the week, any time of day. I don't have to make it into the loading dock by a certain time. You're not time. going to a distribution center. Nope. That's a hassle. Yeah. And I can bring, I don't need to call her in advance. I can show up with whatever mm-hmm. I have. And is your branding on what you bring? Does it say sweet posy yes, floral? Yes, it does. So um, we have, most of our brown branding is in a round logo sticker. Mm-hmm. And I put that on our pre-made bouquet sleeves, which are craft paper sleeves, um, for our jar posies. I put that centered on there as well. And then, like today when we went in, we brought in buckets of dahlias um, by the bunch uh, buckets of Madame Butterfly Snapdragons by the bunch, zinnias, and some hand-tied bouquets. Okay. And with those, we put those, we have some signature buckets that I use just for market of okay. choice so that our customers can see that. The grab-and-go customer sees that it's still your product. Yep. That's probably why you were getting all those texts when people, yes. they knew it was not just market of choice flowers, mm-hmm. but yours. They know. Interesting. And, and she's just so exuberant about it, too. I've been there when I'm bringing in the flowers and people will come up to her cooler and she'll say, these right here, they were just brought in. They're right up the road. They, they were grown right that's, up the road. And that's the best way to sell them. They're not being sold on a price quality or mm-hmm. like a price profile, but on no. a local profile and a you know, fresh, freshness profile. Yes. And speaking of price, she lets me set the price. Wow. So what are you setting? Your wholesale price? And then she marks it up or do you negotiate or discuss what the retail price wants needs to be? No, she just lets me come in and say what I think it should retail for on her floor, what the customer you are going to come in and purchase it for. And then we each take 50, 50. Hmm. That's pretty rare. Whole foods. I mean, let's say for instance, on my Snapdragons, I would put in a 10 stem bunch and I was making a buck 50 off of that. And they were making, uh, I think it was five dollars and something. The okay. ten stem bunch of snaps you were selling, they were retailing for like six or seven dollars. Yeah. And yeah. you were getting a dollar fifty. So mm-hmm. you were basically getting fifteen cents a mm-hmm. stem. And they would set the pricing. <clears throat> right. No matter what the variety was, they already came to me and said, This is what we yeah. pay for this variety, this is how you need to bunch it. It's pretty dialed in. Yeah. Yeah. And and you can appreciate that. It, it needs yeah. to be. No, I, but it's not. Then that's another reason why you decided to walk away from that. Yeah, I, I think when it became even more um, structured yeah, than and, it already was, and kind of all about the dollar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've got the CSAs, you've got the grocery, mm-hmm. and then when, like, what gave you the courage <laughs> to jump into weddings? Because you know you studied with Erin, so obviously she talks about weddings. Yes. In her workshops. Yes. Um, and. And she really talks about, hey, if you're going to grow all these flowers, they will come. Mm-hmm. So you better have a game plan, mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially, is what I walked home mm-hmm. from with her workshop, is you better know 
how to get rid of all these flowers. Right. And not let them just die in your beds. So, um, it seems so common sense, but I know people get ahead of themselves yeah, and they, and we love, did. Yeah. And they, we did. Really? And we still do. We, yeah. we still plant more probably than what we need sometimes on different things. Um, but so in our first year, really, we did know that we were going to do weddings. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I loved the whole design piece and I wanted to go with that, but I thought maybe I was just going to have one wedding and that was going to be my practice. And I, you mean I, like one per season? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> How naive you were. <laughs> yes. Cause that first year I did 11. Wow. Which was pretty big for But me. describe why weddings are so unique to Bent as well. Certainly, yeah. Um, we're a huge tourism place, as you've probably seen over yeah. the years when you've been in the area. Lots of hiking in um, our downtown area, the Mill District area. There's, There's resorts. Resorts, yeah. concerts. Um, and then just where our farm is located, um, east of town, we're very close to town, but we're still considered yeah. county. It's like 10 minutes away from downtown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It literally takes me 12 minutes to get to market a choice. Yeah. Wow. Um, but just out past me East, um, we have the larger resorts and like um, Sun Valley and uh, is that Pronghorn, Brasada, and then a little more West we have Tethero. Then there's Sun River resort, oh, oh, Sun which River. is okay. South of us. Um, I feel like I might be leaving Is there something. one There's called, Broken oh. Top um, and um, Black Butte. Oh, Black Butte, yeah. So, which Sisters. has been around forever. So yes. these, these people come ritually in the summers to these places, and then they want to come back and have get married. Yes. Okay. So I think they grew up vacationing with their families, and they just they have this nostalgia, these fond memories of this. this beautiful um, place. And... With that, with these resorts, they're very destination-centric. So if, you know, a lot of our couples, I was saying to you earlier, I think it's, we're going to figure it out this year, but it's in the high 90s percentile come from out of the area to here. That's crazy. So your, your whole customer base is not local per se. No. You're doing local through grocery and CSAs, mm-hmm. but the weddings are people who have a particular connection to this place and so mm-hmm. they want local flowers mm-hmm. it sounds like and then when they book one of these venues with the resorts there they can bring in their family because there's places for them to stay yeah as well um, and then they have the restaurants and the setup for right. reception and the, the whole package so do you have to be like a preferred vendor at some of these resorts or how does that work yes you do for the most part mm-hmm. um and and i am on a list with a couple of them, but at the same time, um, some of them I'm not necessarily like highlighted. I'm on the list, but not as one of the highlighted Mm -hmm. ones, but you could still flower at those. Sure. If your couple approaches you and that's there, you can still do that. So what's a typical, typical kind of, or maybe there's not a typical type of client, but like somebody who finds you through their search for local flowers and band, um, do you have like a process that you run these couples? Yeah. I mean, first yeah. of all, we're sitting in this beautiful studio where I know you meet with brides, but if, if only 10% of them get to see this. I know. It's this is true. Too bad for them. It's true. I set this up in this way because uh, I initially started, like most everybody I hear on the podcast, 
out of my house, mm. out of my kitchen and mm-hmm. dining room. And then it was flowing over with these bigger weddings into my living room. <laughs> and it just got to the point like, well, we knew we had to replace the roof on this place anyways. And then my husband just said, you might as well do it. And so he created we, this little like uh, living room style seating area uh-huh. that has got beautiful old wood on the walls and a um, an amaranth chandelier, which cracks me up. <laughs> I know it does crack and me up. Velvet sofas. It looks like a like a page out of the Crate and Barrel catalog. It's adorable. Oh, you are sweet. Oh, you we'll take sweet. a picture. Interior design is not my thing. Oh, that's no, for you sure. Got, you got it here. Um, but anyway, some of them are online. They're not yes, here. Yeah. Many of them, I just have email correspondence and uh, some phone conversations. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll get out here, they'll make a trip out, and they'll meet with all of their vendors. Oh, sure, like a site visit. Uh Uh-huh, and then sometimes I'll have the opportunity to meet them in person Mm -hmm. then. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, it's kind of a 50-50 even on that. Many, I mean, just like the wedding I just had at Sun River, I didn't meet her until I passed off her bouquet to her. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, After months of relationship building, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... That, to me, speaks volumes because I feel like they're really entrusting in me and they must find something in my process that I'm giving them that reassures them that even though we can't meet face-to-face, that through email correspondence or mm-hmm. phone conversations. Mm-hmm. So what, um, what do you do first? Do you have them fill out like a, a questionnaire? Yeah, it, it's a basic questionnaire. Um, usually they'll contact me, and I was going to say, I, I, we've had people contact us through the Slow Flowers. Directory, People who yeah. were, I'm just thinking of one right off the top of my head that was for the year before last. Um, they were being married. They were getting married. They live in Florida, but they had hiked two years prior at Crater Lake, mm. which is a couple hours south of here. Right. And um, they, it was very important to them to support local and that kind of thing. So mm. she had found me through oh, Slow that's Flowers. Neat. That's neat. And um, she said, you're the grower and you're designing. So it's Get, the perfect so fit for us. Yeah. You know. Um, well, but yes, a questionnaire. Some, yeah. Just a, a brief questionnaire about their venue, um, photographer, their aesthetic. Um And color then, palette, some of those yeah. pieces. And then you kind of develop a proposal from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which is you, the piece I'm never very good at. <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, it's also very time-consuming and everybody's trying to streamline. Yeah. But are it seems like people are coming to you both for the, fl- the fact that you're growing the flowers, but also for your aesthetic. They like what they see on your Instagram feed and on yeah. your website. I, I think you're right. Again, this is that. it may sound silly, but this is the realization I'm, I'm coming to as well, is that, wow, many of them, we have dogs between us. <laughs> the dogs are really leaning into us today, aren't they? They, they want a little they attention. They, it's the days when I'm running and going, this is what they do. Uh, all hey, right, well, we'll let you give get us some, some love. Give you some doggy um, love. Yes. You're, you're aesthetic. I, I, I'm starting to realize that I am getting people who enjoy my aesthetic. Yeah. Um, and how I'm realizing that, not only from the feedback when they see and receive their floral, it's from them even initially, they're coming to me and saying, I like, I saw this on your Instagram or I saw you had Mm. this photographer Mm -hmm. and I saw some of the images Mm -hmm. from that. Um, And the beauty has been is no one has asked me to go outside of how I naturally design. And 
the aesthetic is that garden overflowing seasonal kind of look that, um, if you will, is on trend yeah. still, so yeah. to speak, in a way um, that everybody's embracing. And, and it may go out, but it was also just a way that I started and how I knew how to design. I also feel like the it's it's in many ways it's it's shaped by what you're growing because you're not growing stiff rigid um, kind of formal flowers so right. your design is responding to <laughs> so Lily and what's the other dog's name Dora Lily and Dora they just want their mommy all right we're almost done ladies <laughs> but you're you're growing things that have you know crooked stems and draping forms and yes. that, that's a design. And those- I mean, those are the things that I get nerdy about, you know. I love when I can go in the field, and yes, most of the field is growing upright as it should, um, but the pieces that have the quirks or the Mm -hmm. curves, um, those, I think, for many of us are what's nice to design with. Right. It's more, um, it gives you a chance to maybe It sets the the tone for the rest of your design piece that you're doing. Well, I saw you had hops. You talked about climbing roses. Um, you have, you know, a, a lot of un, unusual varieties that you're mm-hmm. growing. So that that's also by intent, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think I have a savvy client base here, and it's one thing about Bend and Central Oregon is we're, we're our own beast, but we're also always still wondering what Portland or Seattle's doing and <laughs> vying for a little bit of that too. So, well, then when you get the New York or the Miami bride, I guess you really have to up your yes, game, right? Yes, absolutely. When you talked about your savvy uh, client base, before we wrap up, I want to ask you about another part of your savvy client base, which are, is basically you're selling to your fellow florists here in Bend. Yes. And how, how has that evolved? Because I think a lot of people are apprehensive about that, and you've made it work. Yes. They, they were apprehensive a little bit in the beginning. I think with all of us, when we have our little baby, our business, we're very protective of it. And um, I think all of us also think, like, we're the first to start all of these ventures. Um, And so in the beginning, I think being the first true farmer florist here, even though I didn't really realize Mm. I was at the time, um, a, a few other designers, studio designers, were a little worried about it initially when I was saying, hey, I'm growing and I'll share what I have with you outside of what I'm cutting for my weddings. And they're like, who's this chick? Who, who, who is this chick? And what, what are you saying to this? And, you know, um, and by example, I think you and I were talking about earlier, um, you know, I've, I've had a couple people say, well, it doesn't seem like it was really going to mesh, you know, and it was kind of standoffish at first. And, and then, you know, I had just put it out there and said, well, look, you're booked and I'm booked different venues, different clients. There's, there's a need. There's, Clearly, there's enough right. for all of us to right. go around and more. Um, and so I think once everybody kind of realized and we saw each other face to face instead of this just through Instagram. Right. They got to meet you. Yes. Yeah. And see your flowers. Yes. And realize like, oh, okay, she's just getting started. But I, I think they could see where I was going with it, where I was leading with it. And hey, I love designing with that stuff too. i I would like that. Personally, I think that you are a gift to the marketplace because if you are a grower who is has a mindset of a designer, that's yeah. got to be benefiting them. Yeah. It's not the standard fare. And that's what my friend uh, Katie tells me. She said, 
hey, I, when I, she'd moved here from Sonoma and mm. she was already doing design and then she's settled here, settled here doing it. And she said, you know, I said, you're different from everybody. And I don't know if it's just because you just moved in. Mm. So there's a different presence about mm. it. Um, she said, no, like, I think it's amazing that you're designing too, because you like the same stuff that I would like. So you know what to harvest for me. Interesting. And she's, yeah. and she said, and you really know how to pull a palette together. Mm-hmm. And I can appreciate that. So mm-hmm. now we've evolved where other designers have started getting on board. And I would say last year, and especially this has really been our season wow. of providing. We wow. have for over the last three years, but this year we have a half a dozen that we are weekly supplying wow. to. And before, They're loving it. We're loving it. Before we got to uh, turn on the recorder, we, we kind of got interrupted in a, part of, a little part of the conversation where you said you're hoping to have this like regular mo- one morning a week where people can come almost like you're acting like the wholesaler, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. And, and this was something that Beth uh, Crowley House and I had discussed um, two years back. And I just didn't see feasibly at that time with not having a huge team, how I was going to make that happen with everything else we were trying to bite off. Um, but then the realization came that, hey, there is a market for this. I do have enough designers inquiring, and maybe I shouldn't be delivering all over Central Oregon. <laughs> Putting a lot, of, a lot of mileage on your yeah. van, yeah. yeah. And so I thought, why not? I have this beautiful space. Have everybody just come here on one designated day. And I thought, okay, Tuesday is when any florist is going to receive the truck that comes over from Portland, from the Portland Flower Market. So whether they ordered from Miesh or Frank Adams, it's all on that truck, and it arrives on Tuesdays. Interesting. And, and they're kind of all getting the same pool of resources. Like, mm-hmm. every, you know, if you ordered pink lisianthus, yep. everybody's getting the same pink lisianthus. Yep. Okay. Yep. So that's, a, you know, that's reliable. Uh-huh. Yeah. Absolutely. And when you have um, big designers who have big budgets, um, then... They're very scripted and they have recipes, right? Sure. They know how many stems for their whole, which that, that still overwhelms me yeah, thinking about they got a, that. they got a whole machine mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. So they, they really do need to start. What they'll do is they'll, they'll come to me and they'll say a month or so out, hey, I have this wedding and I just know some of the different lovely things that you grow. Do you think that'll be growing during that time? And I'll say, yes, we, we have that planted. And that seems like the the window of when it will go on. And then I'll just connect with them a couple weeks out and say, this is where that bed's coming with that crop. And yes, I can supply you this many stems or bunches or no, I won't have those cafe LA dahlias yet. But hopefully all the beautiful little um, things that make their design special are layering on top of the standard fare. Yes. Because they're getting it from you kind of at the yes. last minute. So that was kind of my piece behind choosing Wednesday mornings to open my studio okay. floor okay. was the truck would, sorry, yeah. I get off tangent. So, so they've already seen what came in yeah, on Tuesday. Yeah, they know what came yeah. in. They already started processing everything. Mm-hmm. Now they know what their shrinkage was. Mm-hmm. Um, now they know, you know, and a couple designers will say to me, you always have those lovely bits that are going to elevate, like, really pop everything. Um, and you're like, I know. Yeah. Yeah. And Thanks so a lot. <laughs> thank you. Come get it. Um, so then Wednesday seemed like the right day because of what I'm doing too in building to my weddings on the weekends. So you're here anyway, probably working on a wedding. Yep. 
And so they're coming, you said really early, like 6 a.m., right? Yeah, I'm, the goal was to open at 5 o'clock in the morning okay. so that it would give time for either the designer or their freelancers or assistants to come and shop and get what they needed. And they can come. I have some of them who will cut in the field. Like, they'll buy stuff here. I'll have the buckets lined up, and they can go in the cooler. Um, and if it's super busy and they say, hey, I love this, but I want more of it, or when I drove in, I saw this thing. Saw that thing. What was that thing, Jen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you hiding something from me? You're comfortable letting them go. Yeah, and I'll let them go out and snip. I've I've told people and showed people, or if if I'm not comfortable with it, I'll just say, we'll not this time. You. We'll yeah. cut it for you. So um, it, it's wonderful that that's happening. It sounds like it's yeah. kind of, you've got to fit it into, make it your fit your lifestyle. Yes. Because then when do you do the grocery sh- deliveries? Because they said that that could be yeah. any day of the week. It could be any day of the week. And what we've tried to do this season is to, s- to stop being so erratic that way for our customers, too. Sure. They've gotten to where they know when they like to go shopping. Or they've learned that mm. Sweet Posy is putting stuff in on a Wednesday. So they're showing up on Wednesdays. Oh, so maybe you'll do the floral, the wholesale operation really early in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then you'll hit the road and go do those deliveries. Yep. Wow. Yep. So like crazy. this week we went in on... Um, just because of the timing of my big install wedding this last weekend was on a Sunday. So that kind of pushed everything oh, back sure. with breakdown on Monday. And then <laughs> Excuse me. harvesting for the florists and delivering. I delivered this last you week. You kind of got for them. tightened up a little so bit. So I got tightened up. And so we went in on Wednesday and Friday mm. for grocery stuff. And when do your CSA people get their goodies? On Wednesdays. Wow. Every Wednesday after 1 o'clock. And we have... What we've tried to do is we go to our members and we give them two location pickups. So that way people here say we're on the east side or or we're on the west. So Market of Choice is our west side location. And new this year is Jackson's Corner Restaurant, which is a popular restaurant. And they have um, two locations, one on the west and one on the east. So their east side location is the pickup for our members who live on the east side. That's so neat. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And they're they're a very it, it fits that they're partnering with us doing that because they're a very local centric. Their their chef there um, goes and meets with local farmers and local meat producers and they're buying the vegetables and proteins and honey and everything locally. You were saying you had some restaurant clients. Are they one of your accounts? Uh-huh. Wow, yeah. That's amazing. So then I do weekly arrangements for Jackson's Corner mm. as well. That's a deceased one there. Uh, <laughs> I was eyeing that when we came in. Oh my goodness. I just didn't have the heart to quite, I'm a little bit of a hoarder that way. Do you way. own that pot? Yes. That's so I just pot. transition out collections of stuff that sure. I have for my weekly accounts that yeah. I design for. That's great. Yeah. Jen, I could just talk know, to you forever. I know, and I, I know lo- you have to get going. Oh, You're so popular. No, and you've got <laughs> guests coming. We had a lovely little appetizer champagne moment here in uh, this studio. And if you guys cannot hear the thunder and lightning that's outside, it's crazy. Yeah, it's gonna, I can tell it's going to unleash pretty soon. But here. hearing the rain on the roof and looking through the door oh. to the wildflower meadow, it just makes me so happy. And the pines and the... Clouds. I mean, this oh. is Central Oregon. It's it is. It really is. It really is. You know, one piece that I didn't say when you were talking about the studio is we um, transition come September into our workshops. Right. We do a lot of workshops. It's so a- that's what part of the seating space yeah. is because we're we're really trying to um, pivot this year into experiences. Good. 
people seem to like it and want that hands-on. And that, that time of year, you're a little bit less busy with weddings to yeah, do more workshops yeah. on Saturdays? or We do it almost any day of the week. We wow. offer a brunch or an evening class. And it's like a three-hour class, whether it's wreath or whatever it is. But it's we oh. cater a full spread of food. Oh, my gosh. Mimosas in the morning sparkling red wine in the evening um, and your your tables are set up for like roughly how many people would you have we can get 25 in here and I have some tables out right now mm-hmm. I kind of split the studio between this is kind of my production side mm-hmm. those doors are open when we're harvesting got it and your sink and your yep and yeah. we can cotton all my sleeves and everything are over there. This side is kind of more my design side and the mirrors over there so I can see and you've got all your inventory and yeah and all your fringe buckets it's People, we're going to send some photos home with you. <laughs> we'll put them in. Will you share some photos absolutely. Uh, with, for our show notes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really encourage anybody to find Jen and follow her. And oh. if, if you come to Bend, uh, figure out if there's a workshop you can attend. I know I'm already co- thinking about what group of girlfriends can I get to bring back and do, do an yeah. event here. Well, we're bringing, um, we're adding to our whole lineup where I, I didn't get to show you today, but we have a cottage that we're redoing as an Airbnb and then we're bringing in bell tents and we're going to do the whole glamping experience kind of scene and maybe slow down on the big weddings. Wow. Okay. So there'll be a room for you to stay. So will that be like part two of this interview next summer? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Deborah. I love you. You're just so gracious and generous and you've given so much to all of us. And you you really were one of the people who gave me the courage to jump off and dive in like my husband said oh good I'm glad he's not mad at me (laughs) no no (laughs) no thanks this has been beautiful and uh, I'm so glad that we finally could do it in person thank you take care thank you for taking the time I'm so pleased that you joined me today finding balance is a theme we keep coming back to on this podcast a balance between passion and wellness between creative urges and sustaining a creative livelihood neither my guest nor I have all the answers, but we strive for honesty and transparency in our dialogue, and we want you to be part of that conversation. Another constant theme of the Slow Flowers podcast is community. We didn't have time to share the story of Jen's first CSA week ever, but suffice it to say, it involved the biggest disaster a new flower farmer could face, a freak June frost that decimated her entire early season flower crop. Jen put out a call for advice to others. Others she had met through the Pacific Northwest Cut Flower Growers Annual Gathering. And several flower farmers not only jumped in with encouragement and advice, but farms actually gifted Jen and her husband Brandon enough flowers to cover week one and week two of their CSA commitments. Those flower farmers have been, become good friends to this couple, and I just want to acknowledge them today. Erin McMullen and Erin Gasky of Raindrop Farms in Philomath, Oregon, and Beth and Jason Cyphers of Crowley House Flower Farm in Rickrail, Oregon. Those are both in the Willamette Valley. To this day, Jen wonders if she would have given up in discouragement if the community of Oregon flower farmers hadn't stepped in to help support Sweet Posy Floral through that natural disaster. Of course, both of those flower farms are part of the Slow Flowers community, so it was no surprise to hear this story. And I know for certain that Jen and Brandon would do the same thing to pay it forward with a fellow grower or florist in need. Thank you, Jen, for being that voice of honesty this week. I love your work, the beautiful life you've shaped for yourself, and your grit balanced with lovely artistic expression. 
Our next sponsor thanks today goes to Farmers Web. Farmers Web software makes it simple for flower farmers to streamline working with their buyers. By lessening the administrative load and increasing efficiency, Farmers Web helps your farm save time, reduce errors, and work with more buyers overall. Learn more at farmersweb.com. Let's turn our attention now to the 50 States of Slow Flower series, and I invite you to travel with me virtually to the state of New Mexico, where we will meet mother-daughter team Diane Calhoun and Susanna Calhoun of Calhoun Flower Farm. Sister Lillian is a frequent support on the business side of things, and another sister, Emily Calhoun, a past guest of this podcast, owns Floriography NM in Albuquerque, and she's a well-known floral designer there. In the podcast, you'll hear me flub a couple of times and call their farm Calhoun Family Farm. We laugh because it's certainly that too. Theirs is a farming family. Calhoun Flower Farms is a boutique floral enterprise located in the magnificent Mesilla Valley of New Mexico. Diane and Susanna grow and distribute their field-grown flowers for the floral trade, consumers, and events throughout New Mexico and West Texas. They offer farm tours by appointment and often rent their farm for photography sessions. Please enjoy my visit to New Mexico. Okay, well, welcome to the 50 States of Slow Flowers series, continuing today in New Mexico, and I'm so excited to have two women farmers, Diane Calhoun and her daughter, Susanna Calhoun. And I know you guys as the women of Calhoun Family Farms or Calhoun Flower Farms, right? Right. Okay. Um, And I also um, have had a chance to feature Emily Calhoun of Floriography up in Albuquerque. So there are a lot of Calhouns growing flowers or doing something in flowers in the state of New Mexico. How did that happen? We're a little obsessed, I think. Mm, I love uh, it. Speaking, and um, we're, I think we're just a little obsessed with flowers and the effect they've had on this amazing state. And um, our older sister, Emily, with Floriography Flowers, actually originally started growing here in New Mexico. And, and it's been our privilege to pick it up and create a new business out of it. And that's you, Susanna, growing. right? Yes. And, and this is Diane, the mom. Hi, Diane. Um, ag- Hi. So so excited to be here. Um, agriculture has been part of our family roots for generations, since actually since before New Mexico was even a state. So we we just want to do everything we can to promote agriculture in a lot of forms. So going in this route has really been a fun way to bring a different face of agriculture into a different group of consumers. Well, you're in the area, the southernmost part of New Mexico, right? We are. We're we're probably 20 miles from the Mexican border. Wow. And it's La Cruces? Is that how you say it? Las Cruces, yes. Las Cruces. I The way I even had, I literally had to look up Las Cruces on a map years ago when Emily sent me a sweet little note introducing herself and saying that she had this incredible drive from Las Cruces to Albuquerque, bringing flowers from your land up to her shop and studio in uh, Albuquerque, which I guess is like over three hours drive, right? It's a, it's a yeah. good three hour drive. <laughs> and she said, oh, I'm just listening to the Slow Flowers podcast while I'm driving. Thank you very much. And I was like, wait, I got to look on a map and see what this woman's talking about. That's how I found out about mm-hmm. the Calhouns. So uh, you are... 
you're in, in rugged terrain in terms of, it's not like Pacific Northwest where everything's lush and green. You've got some challenges to grow down there, I imagine. We definitely admire every drop of water that's <laughs> out there. <laughs> we, it, is, it, is, it is a place where you really beg things to grow and mm. nurture them carefully uh, as opposed to trying to monitor how many things grow. It's more like, what can we get to grow? Mm. And then we're most jubilant over mm. everything that does. Mm. Well, Diane, give us a snapshot of Calhoun Family or I keep saying Family Farms. I'm sorry, Calhoun Flower Farms. It is a family farm, but I won't re rename your brand. Sorry, Calhoun Flower Farms. I, I actually uh, all work because we are family and we we all play in the dirt. So, and this is Diane. Oh, as, Diane. As uh -huh. um, so, our, our we are a small a small business in a state that doesn't have a lot of uh, cut flower farms. In fact. I think we were the first, and there's now a few others in the northern part of the state, uh, which is a much a much milder climate to grow in mm. uh, than we are. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to try and, and introduce the consumer in all over the state, but particularly in the southern part of the state where, where it's local for us, into the concept that fresh flowers are, A, possible to grow, and B, accessible. They can actually get those for lots of ways. So we're we, along that route, we have developed three different channels of sales. We do some wholesale work to florists. We do a, quite a lot of event work. And then we do uh, grocery store bunches to a couple of local markets. Wow. And what is your growing season in terms of, I mean, obviously, I make the wrong assumption to think there's no winter in New Mexico. I've been in New Mexico in the winter, and it can be pretty cold. So, Diane, again, uh -huh. so we actually have this still incredible growing season. We're almost, we really are zone eight. Okay. Kind of barely sort of pretend that we're, we classify and do all of our ordering based on zone 7B mm -hmm. really is what we do according to USDA. We can grow. So the cool flowers has been something actually we've done for years and years where we start our flowers early or late in the, late in the summer, early in the fall and plant all, all winter long and grow things. And then uh, our main, so we could actually cut flowers about nine months of the year. Wow, that's a that's which is awesome. pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. July and August is really a lot about keeping things going and nurtured, um, because, and you'll see this in a lot of growth around this area. It's just so intensely hot that a lot of the season and that growing is about keeping things going and keeping them alive. Well, you were telling me that it was, a, a, what, 102, and you were having to get up and farm super early just to deal with the heat every day? <laughs> yeah, Susanna here. Um, so we all get up um, at around probably 5 a.m. We have some amazing girls from El Paso, Texas as well. Um, they get up even earlier. Sometimes their commute is almost an hour to the farm. Um, and, but we never have any complaints because it's just so hot later ever. No <laughs> one, no one, no one complains that we get up really early because we were able to stop closer to the middle of the day rather than the end of the day, just because it's, it's just smarter farming. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then your, um, your wedding and event work, is that kind of quiet in the summer? Because I'm assuming maybe fewer people are getting, um, having ceremonies and getting married in the, the, the hottest part of the year, or tell me a little bit about that. Yes, Susanna again here. Um, absolutely. It definitely slows down quite a bit. 
Um, I mean, starting by 10 a.m., it gets up beyond 90 degrees and doesn't cool down until around 7 p.m. Mm. So it's really hard to, to construct and do all of these elaborate weddings. Um, and so we've we've slowed down just a little bit. And I think the consumer has, too. They've realized that it's just, I mean, you're already spending so much on a wedding and um, you want those those flowers to last as long as possible. So mm. um, it definitely slows down, which is good. It kind of allows us to slow down as well mentally, physically, and and kind of reorganize and revamp mm. for the rest mm. of the season. That does mean, Diane, here, that um, fall, starting the end of August, is just tremendously busy for us and early spring. One other thing that we have to, to battle with weather-wise is the spring winds in the west and particularly the southwest and where we are, are are just brutal. We can have months of heavy spring winds. So we really plan our work around that as well. So are the what is the sort of uh, negative, uh, I'm guessing what it is, but the negative aspects of the wind and how does that affect um, your, your field crops? Well, um, these winds are often up to 70 miles an hour, Deborah. So, wow. And we'll have many days in between February and the middle of May, that'll be 40 mile an hour winds. And that's, it just, for little babies, mm. it's just hard on them. Mm-hmm. So they get a sand burned, actually. It's almost like being sandpapered. Uh, so we just have to be real careful. We have some interplantings in our rows of some scrubbier kinds of things. We're just all about breaking it. We're wow. going to work this year on, on some, maybe some little caterpillar tunnels and things, but it's hard to keep those in the ground. Right. So I'm, I can just, I can just picture like a la the Wiz, Wizard of Oz, you know, in Kansas and like this beautiful greenhouse getting <laughs> tossed up in the air. Actually, that's probably a good mental picture. That's you, pretty accurate. One suggestion that we've, we've been able to offer that we've learned is, is a really good frugal way is we've begun to, um, and we, my dad started this, is bordering our fields with hollyhocks. And that's a good natural windbreak around um little baby seedlings or plugs and that's been one way that mm. that we've been able to do that on a budget and, and how pretty is that i mean they're like your your hedgerow almost but they're a quick growing biennial right exactly they are very quick they'll, they'll bloom here within a year if you plant them in august you'll have blooms in may and and a nice a nice plant with big leaves that can really catch a lot of wind and sand Wow. Do you have some crops under cover? I just, I jumped to that conclusion, but um, what is your mix between field grown and um, under, under cover? We are 100% field grown. Okay. Wow. So we figure if our plants can make it here, they can make it in here. <laughs> <laughs> but what we find is that our, our blooms, as, as do all local cut flowers, our, our blooms just last so well in people, uh, in all of our consumers' bouquets yeah. and arrangements because they've, they're just, they're acclimated. So you're doing a wholesale to florists. You're doing your own wedding and event work. So technically you're in the farmer florist space, it sounds like. Um, and then your market bouquets, how are you, how are you getting those into, like, how does that channel work? Well, we, well, we started out doing about two years ago, we went into several different grocery stores and established relationships with them. That's also how we began a relationship with our wholesalers and florists. You know, um, it was such a new thing here that we really needed to be able to show them what this product was um, as well. So we would walk into these places, stores, and offer a bucket of flowers and, and you know, just 
just to offer the fact that these are incredibly and locally grown mm -hmm. um, with love and um, they're able to withstand the lifespan of um, a week to two weeks. And that's just definitely in competition with what's being shipped in. So mm. we were able to do that. And um, social media has been incredible. Hashtagging and uh, constantly posting. Um, social media has been incredible. We don't have a storefront, mm -hmm. so that's been a way of connecting with our consumer. So what what is your favorite hat or what are your favorite hashtags? Are you saying New Mexico grown or Las Cruces flowers or what what kind of catches people's attention? Weddings, I suppose, huh? We definitely hashtag a few weddings. We try to embrace the New Mexico hashtag as well. Uh, the Southwest is just incredibly fascinating. And so we want to be able to tie flowers as much as we can to New Mexico. So mm -hmm. uh, Grown With Tradition is a big one. New Mexico True is a big one. Um, and Grown With Tradition emphasizes on New Mexican farmers. So it also sheds a light on, on the farming aspect as well. Um, and New Mexico Life, NM Life, um, that's another one. That's oh, good. Really great. Oh, good. We'll search for those. But Deborah, um, this is Diane. The Grown with Tradition is uh, the equivalent to California Grown or the American Grown um, label. It's it, like it, it also is, is so, a, a vetting process. Yes. So it's like the state's uh, labeling program for all agriculture. Correct. Oh, I love mm -hmm. that. Oh, that's so beautiful. I really love love mm -hmm. hearing that, and I'm gonna check it out now. And I've probably seen it on your your feed, but I just thought maybe. I guess I'll have to go back and pay attention to it, but that's kind of a nice way to look at the heritage of the state. And as you said, you know, it's a young state. So agriculture predates New Mexico becoming a state, I would imagine. Oh, of course. Yeah. Livestock and um, some crops, grown crops here in these river valleys also were more than a hundred years ago, but definitely with a livestock rich state. <sighs> Well, I remember when I visited Emily, oh gosh, just maybe four or five years ago at, she isn't, I think she was staying at maybe a, a relative's home or she's, I know she's in a different place now, but we were playing around in her studio and she had these long stemmed, um, cotton branches of, of, of soft mm -hmm. cotton that she said, I think came mm -hmm. from, came from the family's property. Do you guys remember that? Or, or is that part of your yeah. mix? Uh, it, it is. We're not our family farm is not growing cotton any longer, but our neighbors are. So we, uh, we trade them some flowers for <laughs> some cotton every year. And so we always have, have a, an inventory of some really great cotton that we know is local and is, is meaningful. In fact, when we've done farmers, uh, a daughter or a, a wedding of a farm family will often pick from their own farm so that it really means something to them. Wow. Our main crop for our family farm is pecans. Oh, that's right. They're pretty wonderful. And make a pretty wonderful greenery too. So, so sometimes we're doing some, some extra pruning for, for our orchard just to get some greenery out of that. So, so you'll use the pecan. Also, you'll use, the pe you'll use the pecan greenery, but, and then we also use sometimes the actual, um, nut on the branch or the pod. I don't know what the yes, term is being. It, it, it is a nut. Uh, it's a pecan. It grows in a husk just mm -hmm. the way an almond does. And then it opens up inside that. Um, and all in all of its stages, it's really quite, quite amazing. So we don't, it depends on where the orchard is and Often we're trying not to take too much of that crop. <laughs> we're trying to be sensitive to that. <laughs> well, Susanna here, and it actually ended up opening this 
wonderful door with our clients where we were able to connect with them on a sentimental and an even more elevated local way where, um, as you know, it's really hard to establish greenery, especially when you're still trying to get an income and, and get things going and, and you need a lot of greenery. So what we were able to do is you can do this just about anywhere. We got a foraging license. And so we incorporate creosote, which is a, um, it's almost becoming invasive here, but it's a native plant here that we've found out now can be burned, turned into tea. It's an antifungal, it's an antibacterial. Um, it smells incredible and it's, it's so nostalgic for our brides. So they're, they're brought back to their childhood. So we've been able to figure out a sustainable way to provide greenery, but a way to connect with our clients by using this awesome local stuff that that's just incredible and all around us. Oh my so. gosh. You know, I've heard the term creosote, but I obviously don't know what it is. So I'm hoping you'll share some photos of some of your designs featuring that material. Absolutely. We will. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And it is, and she's this is Diane and Susanna. So, so right. You just see the, the emotions go through the faces of brides and bridesmaids and they take a whiff of that because it's very aromatic. It's, it's the kind of shrub in the desert that takes on a, a real distinct scent after a rainstorm. Mm. Um, so everyone's familiar with it because they know that aroma so yeah. well. We and, all have a passionate love of rain. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that whole idea of our, how close our memories are attached to, to scents and, and scent and fragrance. It, it's one of the best ways to connect your client with where you're, where those flowers came from or where that foliage came from. I love that story. Absolutely. You're so right, Deborah, Diane here. We have a photographer. We, we work with, we're so fortunate to work with some really wonderful photographers. And there's a, a photographer in town that we work with who says, I always know when I'm doing a Calhoun wedding because I walk in and I can smell everything. It's just delightful. So that's, uh, you're, you're there following that aroma and aromatherapy, um, Flowers smell good, and we're, gosh, how wonderful to be in that. Oh, my gosh. I, I would love to come visit you. It sounds, it just sounds like you've really made uh, the best of what others might find very daunting in terms of climate, uh, geography, uh, <laughs> seasonality, and, you know, the fact that you have, whatever, inches, less than inches of rainfall every year. It, it really is, Susanna here, for sure. Um, but it's also, I think, a sense of pride because I think that we've now been able to see that New Mexico is just capable of just about anything. Um, another fact is that, believe it or not, New Mexico is one of the only states that has all nine growing zones. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a really cool challenge at the same time to educate yourself in something so new. And that's one thing I've definitely learned and wasn't expecting to is to see all of these different ways that that we can become a better farmer while figuring out for the next generation what can grow here. Mm. So it's been really fascinating. Mm -hmm. so, That's wonderful. Deborah, you, you talked about our annual rain, rainfall. Our, we're, we're in the zone where we expect about 12 inches, but that's a very good year. We've had some years where it was less than five. So water water conservation is very important to us. We are lucky to have the Rio Grande irrigation water um, available to us. And so flood water from the Rio Grande is, is just a bonus. Um, but drip irrigation is our savior. 
Right, right. And, and I, you know, even if you have uh, a source of water, you still have to be super careful about your use of it, I'm sure, because always it's a, yeah. it's a limited resource. I mean, you mentioned how close you were to El Paso, and I feel like with what has happened in El Paso this week, I'm curious to know if there's, you know, any insights or sort of comfort or uh, advice you can give to people listening on, like, how they can show their support for the people of El Paso. I mean, that's one of your markets, right? It is. And, and um, so I think the biggest sense of pride for us in our relation to El, El Paso is that um, we have, um, we were all born there. Uh, my dad is a born Texan and uh, has so much pride for that area. He wanted to make sure we were all born there. <laughs> and, um, and, but what I am truly grateful for is, the way that we have been able to make such an incredible group of people at the farm, and a lot of them come from El Paso. And what's incredibly beautiful is that they all come from different walks of life. We have age groups ranging from 18 to 60 that work for us now on the farm. And um, they've embraced it completely, which is exactly what El Paso stands for. They embrace every single person mm. in their community. Well, and, um, I, my heart... This was not yeah, go ahead. No, just my heart just breaks for for everyone in your area, and uh, it's just it's wrong. And I think we see these national tragedies, and we don't know how to respond. And if you have any suggestions for how people can show their support uh, to a nonprofit or a community organization, I'd love to share that uh, with our podcast listeners so they can um, make a donation. Thank you so much. Um, absolutely. Any, anything helps. And, um, this, this town is one of the strongest out there, but we would recommend this, um, foundation, the El Paso community foundation, mm -hmm. um, have something set up, um, immediately. Uh, so there's, they're taking a lot of that. Remember that this is a, one of the lowest income places in the country. So, um, it, it's been in the news for a lot of reasons recently. Uh, support is amazing. Uh, on the on the positive side, the blood donations places have been overwhelmed with with people lined up and around the street, even though around the building, even though it's 100 degrees outside. Oh my and goodness! That's really behind it. It's the definition of El Paso. Oh my goodness! Well, we love you, and we want to talk about the beauty and the the resiliency and the natural beauty and the people beauty of El Paso and Las Cruces. And that's what, uh, that your story is helping to, you know, kind of redirect the conversation and please embrace your employees who, um, are, I'm sure hurting as much as you are. Um, we should end on a positive note and that is that you are bringing beauty to people's lives through your work. And that's no small task. And I admire you both and your whole family for, for what you're doing. And, I want to thank you for sharing your story with us. We This is not the last we'll hear of the Calhoun ladies. <laughs> thank oh. you so much. We look forward to many more conversations, Deborah. Oh. Embracing all culture is what we're about. That's awesome. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye.
so grateful to you for joining me and for spending your time listening to the Slow Flowers podcast today. Thank you to our entire community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement. If you feel moved as I am to support the people of El Paso, Texas, some of whom work for and buy flowers from Calhoun Flower Farm, visit DeborahPrinzing.com to find the link to join Slow Flowers in donating to the El Paso Community Foundation. El Paso Community Foundation's short-term goal has been to use donations to assist families and victims by paying for funeral, travel, and basic need expenses. Long-term, the foundation wants to support the community's need to heal as a collective while addressing the trauma people have suffered as a whole. The foundation has also established the El Paso Victims Education Fund, a scholarship fund for the children of those shot and injured or killed by the shooter on August 3rd, 2019. Your contribution will join others in providing tuition assistance and related expenses to college or university or to an established trade or vocational school. You can learn more by searching the hashtag El Paso So Strong. Our final sponsor spotlight thanks today goes to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 505,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Mm-hmm.